from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing a five ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Friday, May 8th. Hopefully everybody's having a great start to their Friday. It's supposed to be sunny out here in Seattle. It's lighter when I drive to work, which always makes me happy. Plus, the 2020 NFL schedule was released yesterday. So we'll dig into the details of all of that. Of course, a special look at what the Seahawks are up against this year, win predictions, their strength of schedule. Plus, let's shake out the rest of the NFC West and see how they're looking predicted wins and finishing place for everybody in the NFC West. Some of the most notable matchups to keep your eye on in this year's schedule. And of course, all things still a little bit contingent on what happens with COVID-19. But as of now, the league planning on moving ahead with a full regular season. Whether there'll be fans in the stands or not, we shall see. We'll dig into all that ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. The 2020 NFL schedule was released yesterday. We even saw some of the preseason games. Thursday, August 6th, that will be the NFL Hall of Fame game still scheduled for Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton. And it's going to be Pittsburgh versus Dallas, 5 p.m. on NBC. The regular season kicks off with the Houston Texans visiting the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday, September 10th. On NBC, and then the opening doubleheader for Monday night football will feature the Steelers at the Giants on ESPN, and then the Titans at the Broncos uh, on Monday, September 14th. The New England Patriots, down one Mr. Tom Brady, Mr. T12, have the hardest schedule according to the strength of schedule rankings, but they uh, five time. Five primetime games for Tampa Bay Brady down there with the Bucks. Obviously, people tuning in in the NFL thinking he, with his new team, have a lot of primetime appeal. The Baltimore Ravens have the easiest, according to data from ESPN Stats and Information, and many experts as of now predicting a Ravens versus Saints Super Bowl. So we'll dig into that. Some other notable matchups that ESPN reporters noted the Chiefs at Ravens week three. That's Monday night football. Chiefs at Saints as well coming late in the year. A lot of people believing that is the Super Bowl matchup that they're going to see. So if that's true, week 15 would uh, give you a preview and late in the season with a lot riding on the line. In the NFC West, let's take a look at the Seahawks' schedule. Eleven and five was the prediction on ESPN. How many? Uh, what they're end up in with <laughs> by the end of the season, and we'll talk about how that fits in with the rest of the NFC West. But the Seahawks continuing to prove that they have prime time appeal. They're scheduled for four appearances in prime time, beginning in Week Two against the Patriots on Sunday Night Football. Their strength of schedule is tied for fourteenth. Uh, here was Colin Cowherd yesterday talking about the Seahawks and how he thinks they're the best team in the league. And I think Seattle's going to be the best team in the league. I think it wasn't for cluster injuries last year in the backfield. I, I did not buy Seattle last year. They blew me away. Many of their rookies played well. 
Uh, they, they will not have that kind of uh, injury-riddled backfield. New England, I mean, you're talking Jarrett Stidham. They've lost their two best playmaking linebackers. Uh, I look at New England's early schedule. That is a tough game at Seattle. Um, I'm not sure how winnable that is. I, I think Seattle and New England for a year are going in different directions. Mark Schlereth also on with him and agreeing with Cowherd. Well, I, I love the Seattle pick. I love, you know, I just love the way they approach the game. Pete Carroll knows exactly what he wants to do um, on the defensive side of the ball, and they are committed to bringing back 90s football. They're going to run. They're going to set up play action. They're going to push the ball down the football field um, in that fashion. That's good news for Seahawks fans' ears. So let's dig into game by game. Week one, uh, the Seahawks at the Atlanta Falcons. Week two versus the New England Patriots. That is the first primetime game that they have on their schedule, 5.20 p.m. on NBC Sunday night football. Week three uh, versus Dallas, staying at home as well. Um, on Fox week four, uh, they're going to Miami cross country and uh, 10 a.m. An early game on Fox week five, right before their bye week in six week five, they'll face off against the Minnesota Vikings at home. That's the second primetime game on their schedule, 520 p.m. on Sunday night football on NBC. After a bye week in week six, week seven, they come back and start to face off against the NFC West. They're at the Arizona Cardinals in Week 7. Then Week 8, it's versus the San Francisco 49ers coming back home. Week 9, at the Buffalo Bills. So a tough stretch really here uh, when we talk about Week 7, Week 8, Week 9, and then Week 10, because we know how divisional matchups can go. They are at the Rams. Back-to-back away games versus the Bills and versus the Rams. Uh, There will make for a tough stretch in early November. Week 11, November 19th, that is versus the Arizona Cardinals. The third primetime game, Thursday night football, keeping it in the NFC West. Week 12, they will head to the Philadelphia Eagles. They get an extra day there after uh, the Thursday night football game, of course, but it's a Monday night football game, their fourth primetime game on the schedule, 515 on ESPN. So an extra day there as they travel cross-country. Week 13 uh, versus the New York Giants back at home versus both New York teams. And week 13 and week 14, 14 versus the Jets. Week 15, they are at Washington. So another cross-country trip for them. Week 16 back home versus, or sorry, yep, back home versus the Rams. And then finally finishing things off with that uh, late matchup against the 49ers at San Francisco, uh, uh, scheduled to be on Fox. Let's take a look at the Niners and their predictions, too. Uh, The ESPN experts, beat writers, all laid out their predictions for each of their teams. And the 49ers, also along with the Seahawks, predicted to be atop the NFC West, both with 11-5. and The Niners have a stretch from October 18th to November 15th. That is pretty daunting. Games against the Rams for them, Patriots, Seahawks, Packers, and Saints in consecutive weeks. And three of those will be on the road for the Niners, so a tough test for Kyle Shanahan and crew. Their strength of schedule, though, ranks fourth. That's compared to the Seahawks, I believe, tied for 14th is what I said. So Cardinals, they're predicted to land in third place in the NFC West, 9-7. and seven. They have homestands of two, three, and two games, but also some tough road trips three and two games. They start the season in San Francisco, so a uh, tough test early on. Their strength of schedule is tied for eighth. 
The Rams rounding things out in the NFC West. They are predicting over at ESPN that they will end the season eight and eight. It's the debut of SoFi Stadium. Finally, uh, they'll make its debut in primetime with the Rams hosting the Cowboys. So a big time matchup there. Their strength of schedule is tied for 10th. Real quickly, let's take a look at the rest of the NFC because it's pretty daunting. The NFC East, the Cowboys predicted uh, for 10 and 6. The Eagles predicted for 10 and 6. There, the drop off in that division is rough because the Giants and Washington both rounding things out with 6 and 10. Washington, that would be an improvement for them after going 3 and 13 last year, but the NFL still doesn't look like they're anticipating very much from Ron Rivera in his first season with Washington because they haven't been scheduled for any primetime games and only one prominent game at Dallas on Thanksgiving for the third time in five years. As for the NFC North, a little more intimidating. The Packers predicted to land in first place there with an 11 and 5 record. Four of their first six, though, are on the road. One of those is against Tom Brady, another against Drew Brees. And for the first time in franchise history, the Packers are going to open a season at the Vikings. That's pretty incredible that still first happened in the Packers uh, franchise history, being that they have been around forever. The Vikings predicted to come in second in the NFC North. Ten and six is their predicted record. Lions eight and eight. Bears seven and nine. In the South, pretty much a unanimous pick for a lot of experts and pundits when they talk about who they think from the NFC will be headed to the Super Bowl. The Saints, 12-4, and four, right behind them. I don't know if it's Tom Brady. I don't know if it's Bruce Arians. I don't know if it's all the offensive weapons to his name, but the Bucks predicted to come in second with an 11-5 record, despite that they uh, will face all teams in the NFC North and AFC West in 2020. The Falcons are 9-7 and seven in third, and then Panthers rounding things out under new head coach Matt Rule at 6-10. and 10. Up next on the Blitz, we won't go into as much detail with the AFC, but we'll just dig into a little bit of that, as well as some changes that may, might be coming to the Seahawks offense. Some interesting comments on that yesterday. I'll explain. It's next on the Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, May 8th. The NFL schedule, big release yesterday, a three-hour show on NFL Network, digging through the details of that and some of the finer points of that schedule. Also, just the fact that we still have a lot of unknowns in our country and the NFL operating as if the regular season will play out as scheduled. But what could happen if the season is late? Here was Adam Schefter yesterday. There really are no trap doors built into the schedule. Yes, everybody in week two has the same bye week at some point later on. But there is nothing that says to people, oh, interconference games early on. Here are the key elements that basically as they are right now. If the start of the season is delayed, the early weeks could occur after week 17. In other words, week one would go to week 18, week two to 19, three to 20, and so on and so forth. There is, however, some flexibility, too, when it comes to the Super Bowl day. Super Bowl 55 holds the key to everything. Now, I want to be very clear. There are no discussions, no active discussions to push that off. I even spoke to the head of the Super Bowl committee today who said it's not even an option right now. The plan is to have the Super Bowl on Sunday, February 7th. The league is proceeding as if it's business as usual. 
But there are people around the league who believe that that would be the key, that the league could fold that Super Bowl back, push it back, and then take the early part of the season if any of it has to be missed and move that back later. Again, hypotheticals, flexibility. The league has built that in wisely, but it's not proceeding as if that will be the plan. It's proceeding as if these games will occur. A lot of people, though, surprised that they chose to release the schedule at this point when they didn't have to. Although Golick, uh, Mike Golick this morning on Golick and Wingo talking about the NFL reacting to COVID, how he believes they should. Listen, I think they're doing what everybody is doing. Everybody, we see it around the country. Places are opening up, but they're not opening up like they normally would open up. They're opening up and they have contingency plans. You know, when, when Mike, your brother Jake, and sister-in-law Jenny opened up their Orange Theory Fitnesses again, it's not going to be normal. They don't know when they're opening them up again. And when they open them up, they have to be ready to kind of pivot on how they're going to do it. That's what the sports leagues are doing. Nobody is writing anything in indelible ink. They're saying, okay, this is the plan. And if this happens, we push this game. If this happens, we push this game. And you have contingency plans. And I think that's that's happening in the real world, quote unquote, and the sports world, just because we don't know when it's all going to start. So far in the show, we took a look at the NFC West and uh, how things are shaping up in that regard, plus the predictions that the ESPN beat writers made, which was having the Niners and Seahawks uh, at least tied in their record with 11-5, and five, the Cardinals 9-7 and seven in third, and then the Rams rounding things out at 8-8 eight and eight this year. But we are just going to take a quick look through the AFC and how they are predicted to land. In the AFC East, the Bills, who the Seahawks play this year, expected to be at the top of that division. No, not the Patriots for once, but Bills 12-4, and four, Patriots 9-7, and seven, uh, Dolphins 7-9, and nine, and Jets 7-9. and nine. Mina Kimes uh, talking about Jimmy G versus Jarrett Stidham and him fighting off the ghosts of Jimmy G there in New England. This is a challenging one for young Jarrett Stidham because he's not being compared to Tom Brady. He's being compared to Jimmy Garoppolo. He is the one that got away, and if he drastically outplays him, that's going to be a subject on talk radio in New England. But I'm also excited for this from a football point of view. New England doesn't have a ton of hype around them this year compared to previous years, but that is still an elite defense. They are built back to front. The secondary is largely intact. And if there's one thing I've learned about Bill Belichick is that he can generate a pass rush out of nothing. Belichick against Kyle Shanahan is football nerd nirvana. I will take that every time. It's going to be a fun matchup. AFC in the West, the Chiefs. You asked it, predicted at the top 12 and four Chargers, 10 and six, though, right behind them. A pretty impressive defense. And I like Anthony Lynn a lot, what he's building down there and now adding Justin Herbert to the mix. 10 and six is their predicted record. Broncos in third, nine and seven. And the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, got to get used to saying that, seven and nine. When it comes to the Chiefs, a lot of people predicting a Chiefs Saints Super Bowl, at least a Chiefs versus someone Super Bowl. Mike Tannenbaum, although on the Chiefs having a difficult start to the year. Obviously, you know, they focus on opening day. And so Kansas City, obviously, defending champ, they open up at home. But look at week two and week three, guys. They go back-to-back at Chargers, at Baltimore. And, you know, we may say, well, it's only Tyrod Taylor. But when you look at those two defenses between Bosa and Ingram, getting Kenneth Murray and Derwin James, Calais Campbell, I mean, on and on and on, those Charger and Ravens defensive fronts are really good. So, Again, it's not who you play, but it's when you play them and back-to-back. And if you're Kansas City to go to the coast on consecutive weeks, that, that is a tall order.
A lot of people looking forward in week 15 to the Chiefs versus Saints matchup, but that week three matchup that Mike just mentioned there, Chiefs versus Ravens, going to be pretty intriguing as well. A lot of people have that circled on their calendar. The Chargers, meanwhile, they have to decide when new quarterback Justin Herbert will make his debut. Mina Kimes on that very subject. I am waiting to see when Justin Herbert starts because you know quarterbacks who are drafted in the first round do not sit. Do not use Patrick Mahomes as an example. Alex Smith was still an elite quarterback that season. Tyrod Taylor was a backup last year. I believe Anthony Lynn when he says he loves him. I believe him because they did great things together in Buffalo in 2015 and 2016. He can create an offense tailored to his skill set, no pun intended. But his margin for error is slim because Justin Herbert is looming and also because this Chargers defense is a playoff defense. Have you looked at that depth chart? It's like Ocean's Eleven. They should be near the top of the AFC. And if Taylor doesn't play to that level, there are going to be calls to put in the rookie. Yeah, I like that comparison. For Mina, AFC North, the Ravens 12-4 and four, predicted to finish in first. No shocker there. The Browns Far behind, I mean, at least when it comes to the Ravens, the disparity between the next best team in the AFC North, Browns 9-7, and seven, Steelers 9-7 and seven as well, and Bengals with brand new Tiger King Joe Burrow 5-11. and 11. And finally, in the AFC South predictions from ESPN's beat writing crew, the Titans expected to end the season at 10-6 and six with Vrabel, the Colts, 10 and 6 as well on the up uh, on the upswing and then the Texans 9 and 7 Jags rounding it out 4 and 12 in the AFC South back in the NFC no shocker that the Buccaneers are scheduled for five primetime games because of yes Tom Brady Mike Golick and Mike Golick Jr saying that Tom Brady essentially changed the Bucks schedule the focus of the NFL world is now as it has been since the move was made on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what happens with them. And it was reflected by their schedule release last night. Five primetime games for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on that one. Not really overly surprising when it comes to that, but a definite changeup, Dad, no doubt, for uh, for Tampa Bay and what they're used to down there. Not used to it at all. They're among seven teams with five primetime games. And the other ones you certainly would recognize for how they played. Ravens, 49ers, Packers, Chiefs, Patriots, Rams, Cowboys. The Buccaneers get five primetime games, not because of how they played and, and then the high expectations, but because of who they acquired in the offseason. It is solely on that, solely on Tom Brady. Adding Gronk was a little bit of a, a cherry on top for sure. We'll be watching, of course, up next on the Blitz. It's time, uh, not for the hot list yet. That is in about 20 minutes. At first, we're going to hear from our own Dave Wyman. He did a great breakdown of Daryl Taylor. Don't want to miss it. It's next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, May 8th. Everybody's doing well out there in these times of social distancing. The NFL draft certainly provided a bunch of entertainment recently, and getting to know the Seahawks draft class has been a fun part of the past couple of weeks. Yesterday, our own Dave Wyman of Bob Dave and Moore breaking down uh, the Seahawks' second pick in the draft, Daryl Taylor. A chance to take a closer look, and what did you come away with, Dave? 
Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I was uh, looking at the fact that he they traded up 11 spots to get him, and that usually means that uh, – that they really like somebody, and that has tended to work out because I know that they traded up for Tyler Lockett as an example, and I think DK Metcalf. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a guy that they really wanted, and they felt like he was the third best pass rusher in the draft, and that came after Chase on and and of course uh, Young. Um, so that you know the kid from from Ohio State, Chase Young. So I mean, those are two guys, and I know a lot of people were talking about Grossmatos. We looked at him, and I didn't really like him, uh, but I, I thought uh, the more I look at this kid, and I kind of see what what they're thinking as far as watching the kid and what he can do. Like, if, if this kid can do, like, maybe he doesn't do it all the time, but if he has the ability to go around the edge at, you know, a certain angle and speed, if he has the ability to do that, and you just see him do it a couple of times, you think – Okay, we can coach this guy up, and we can get him in here. And he has—he's doing some things that not, you know, there's not a lot of guys in this draft that can do. So, and I know that there were some people that thought about also Epinesa, but you know, after having looked at this guy, and only a couple of times I saw it, but you know, there is something there that's that's very special. So. But let me let me go back. First of all, Daryl Taylor from Tennessee, 6'4", 267 pounds. And he was the guy that redshirted his freshman year. And then, and I, I believe that might have been the year when his mother passed because he did lose his mother in, I think, 2013 or 14. But, well, you know, maybe we'll we'll talk to him about that. So he's had, had some, some tough things in his past. But... You know, he played, you know, his freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. So he had five games his freshman year, which is really his redshirt freshman year. Uh, nine games sophomore year, 11 games junior year, 13 games his senior year. Now, he did end the season with, uh, they put a rod in his uh, in his leg and, you know, did, did a surgery on him. So, But the Seahawks took, took, uh, took a look at him and said they felt like he was... He was all the way healed. Same thing with Jordan Brooks. And, again, you know, we're hearing a lot of these guys that have had surgeries and everything, but they trust that everything is healed. And I just think that's something you have to – it has to be part of it. I mean, if you're sitting there looking at players going, well, I just want a guy that didn't get any injuries or anything like that, you're not going to find very many players. So, anyway, he ended up uh, at, at Tennessee. And, and here's the thing I'd say with these stats and looking at him – He's in the SEC, and that means something. And I think it meant something to, to the Seahawks, too, that he's going against Florida, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina. At least that's who was on their schedule last year. So, you know, it's a, it's a tough competitive um, division there. So he ended up uh, 118 tackles, 27.5 tackles for loss, 19.5 sacks, 8.5 his senior year, knocked down seven passes, uh, recovered four fumbles and had six forced fumbles. And that was one of the things that um, I saw like a positive review was that, you know, he's very conscientious of stripping the ball. So kind of like, you know, we remember that with uh, with Cliff Averill. He was really good at that. But um, I was looking at some of the pros and cons of what people were saying about him, the evaluators. The first thing I, I saw on the NFL website, it says chiseled out of granite. I was like, wow. I don't think I've ever seen that before. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. I don't think anybody that's ever a pro, described right? me that way. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. So, and then, you know, the other thing is they said, you know, he was very sturdy against SEC tackles. And, man, I watched a Georgia game where there was a big dude across from him. And, again, he's only, what, 265, 270. And this guy looked like he was 325 at least. And he was just straightening him up. I mean, just punch and just kind of almost folding him backwards. So, He's really good. But the other thing that they like is this bend and dip that we always talk about. And that's basically just kind of, you know, when you turn the corner and you're able to be like on a 45-degree angle almost and get your body through and have your feet somehow still stay on the ground. And there's a real art to that because, you know, you're counting on part of the lean into that tackle keeping you upright because you know you can't run that way because you know you'll fall over and so there's a real coordination that goes with that 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 he has really good dave wyman breaking down seahawks second round pick daryl taylor we heard from john schneider on danny and Gallant recently that well they were considering taking daryl taylor in the first round when it fell uh to them there that they wouldn't make a trade back or out of the first round because green bay leaped ahead of them, um, that they were considering both Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks at number 27. Pete Carroll mentioned uh, they were even surprised that they were able to grab him when they did, and their focus of their day was trading up to draft him. Here was Schneider actually recapping that. From the get-go this morning, we you know we were we were on it, trying to move, and, and uh, the whole way. I mean, we were trying to go up pretty high <laughs> to get him. Like I said, we, we considered taking him last night, so it was on for a long time. And then finally we were able to get a deal done. Uh, with the Jets and, and uh, Joe Douglas, and we were able to get on the clock and, and take him, so it was very exciting. Jim Nagy recently telling 7102 that he thinks Taylor would have been a first-round pick if not for that leg injury he suffered and that he is a perfect hit, fit in his mind for the Seahawks. Daryl Taylor is, is such an imposing-looking guy. You know, he's really put together. He's powerful. He's combative. Um, he plays hard. He, he, he just he, He's a Seahawk. He just plays like a Seahawk to me, and he fits that profile I think he brings a little Frank Clark to that team, you know, just with his edge and, and mentality, uh, getting to know Daryl a little bit. Like he just, there's just something about him that I think is really going to fit there. Also, we got to hear from Daryl Taylor himself yesterday, speaking with us here at 710 and talked about how he knew the Seahawks wanted him, but didn't think that they would make that move and trade up to get him. Yeah, they, that's a problem. I didn't think they were going to trade all the way up the, um, up the picks like that. So that kind of surprised me, but I knew how bad they wanted me, but I didn't know it was that bad. So I'm just excited to be able to uh, be a picked at the spot that I got picked at, and I'm just ready to go to work once I get there. On when he realized he could be an edge rusher, it wasn't really until college that that scale came out. Honestly, I didn't really know until I got to college. I knew I, I could do it in high school really well, but when I got to college, it really took off, um, and I had really good coaches that coached me up and helped me with my craft. So um, I credit a lot of my success to those guys that helped me and shaped me to the pass rusher I am now. So I just had a lot of good coaching and stuff like that. Daryl Taylor also uh, thinks he will fit well with Seattle's defense. Tennessee runs similar defense in his perspective. No, I think their system is something I can definitely fit into easily because of some of the things that we did at Tennessee and some of how uh, I was used at Tennessee. So it's going to be comfortable going into playing a position that they asked me to play, and I'm excited about it. Finally, Daryl Taylor, Seahawks' uh, second-round pick on what he will work on this year. Uh, I think I can just always 
improve myself just by being consistent in the pass rush, uh, just being physical with my hands, always having the right hand placement, and being a playmaker on the edge and the run defense and things like that. So just improving those things and being consistent in doing that, I think I'll be definitely one of the top guys there just doing everything that I need to. And once, and once I'm doing that, I don't think anything will stop me. Coming up next on The Blitz, it's time for The Hot List. We heard from Jerry Depoto on the momentum that seems to be building for baseball and baseball coming back. Also, the Seahawks potentially exploring ways to run the up-tempo offense we've seen throughout the game. More in the fourth quarter, though, next in The Hot List, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Jerry DePoto, Mariners GM, joining Danny and Golan for the Jerry DePoto show yesterday. And while nothing is imminent, he talks about momentum seems to be building for the return of baseball. We've gotten to watch some Korean baseball games on our television on ESPN in recent days, their season opening earlier this week. And then we also heard from Jeff Passan, MLB and the Players Union, going to start discussing in the next week a plan that could have a mini spring training back in as early as June and an opening date as soon as July 1st. So here is Jerry DePoto, though. Nothing imminent, but positive momentum. I, I know we feel the, the momentum building, and, and we're reading a lot of the same things that the, that the fan base is and that you are. It's, a, it's the, a lot of discussions are happening at high levels right now. I don't think anything is, is naturally imminent. But, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And there are a lot of these discussions that are happening. And, and it's encouraging that, you know, for us, for our players, that we have the, the potential, at least, of getting back on the field at some point in the not-too-distant future. I know we all, we would all love to do it. And, and in some cases, you know, physically, psychologically, emotionally, it's good for everybody, for, for players and fans. Jerry DePoto also on and having laid out plans for any potential outcomes for the turn of baseball. Yeah, you know, as, as probably won't surprise you, we've, we've laid out pretty elaborate plans on parallel paths for any of those possible outcomes, just so that we're ready. Uh, you know, we don't want to receive the call, hey, it's time to go, and we haven't given any thought to how that's going to set up. So, you know, we have, whether it's a, a spring training in Arizona, a spring training reboot in Seattle, or anything uh else that might pop up, whether it's playing home games throughout the year here in our ballpark or, or doing it in spring training parks. We, we've kind of covered all that in, in planning sessions, and, and now we're just waiting to see which one of those plans we need to draw and, and see how it rolls. That's good news for baseball fans and uh, positive, positive energy that direction. The NFL Network's Omar Ruiz spoke yesterday. It's some interesting comments about the Seahawks. And their offensive game plan, he said, Seahawks are exploring ways to run more up-tempo offense later in games. Andrew, I know there are a lot of people that watch Seahawks games in the fourth quarter when Russell Wilson is dominating, marching up and down the field. 
and say, why doesn't the Seahawks offense operate like that all the time? Well, the short answer, of course, because Pete Carroll is that run-heavy offense believer, pass rush balance, certainly. But they are exploring ways to run that up-tempo style of offense more often during games without changing their identity. It's one of the reasons why they've created a pass game coordinator, promoting former quarterbacks coach David Canales to that spot and promoting promoting former offensive assistant and former Seahawks and Rams quarterback Austin Davis to the quarterback's coach spot. Omar Ruiz also with an interesting comment on uh, Will Disley saying that uh, Disley told him that he sees a little MJ in Russell in terms of competitive and preparation. I spoke with Will Disley recently. Uh, The tight end who's recovering from that Achilles injury says he doesn't have any doubt he'll be ready for training camp. But the magic of Russell Wilson, he said, is explained by the insane preparation he goes through. And like most of us, Disley has been watching The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan series. He said that preparation you see from Jordan is what they see from Russell Wilson every day. So obviously trying to enhance what Russell Wilson can bring in 2020, something certainly the Seahawks are focused on. Michigan head football coach Jim Harbaugh, he wants college football players to have the ability to enter the NFL draft whenever they want to, but also wants players who go unselected in the draft to be allowed to return to school. He penned an open letter yesterday addressing, quote, the college football community and laid out a proposal that would allow for more flexibility for players who consider trying to make that jump and go to pro football uh, despite still having some college eligibility. It would have more more options for them. Current NFL rule state of the player has to be removed at least, excuse me, at least three years removed from high school before entering the draft. NCAA rules do not allow for players to return to college football once they declare for the draft, even if they haven't used all of their NCAA eligibility. Uh, just an expert excerpt I'll read you from Harbaugh's letter. He said, quote, there are early bloomers capable of competing in the NFL and earning a livelihood at an earlier age. The goal would be to create a scenario that makes adjustments for all current and future student athletes that puts the timeline for transition to professional football at their discretion and that of their family. I propose an option that allows them to make the decision that is best for them. Harbaugh also said he would like to see rules that allow college players to consult with agents for advice before signing professional contracts as long as the athlete doesn't receive any compensation of course as part of that relationship under his plan a player would be allowed to enter his name in the draft and return to school if he's not picked in the seven rounds of the draft if a player is selected in the draft or signs a free agent contract he would relinquish the rest of his college eligibility opening a little bit of a can of worms this discussion this plan does but in coming days next week we'll take a closer look at this and both sides of this argument because it's not the first time it's been proposed and does it have any relation to the potential changes of NCAA rules about players being able to make money from their name, image, and likeness? We'll discuss that uh, coming up, of course. Well, we heard yesterday the news story. The wife of Baltimore Ravens safety Earl Thomas was arrested last month in Texas after pointing a loaded gun at her husband's head during an argument. Nina Thomas was arrested on April 13th in Austin, Texas, and charged with first-degree felony burglary of a residence with intent to commit aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, according to the court documents. A team spokesman from the Ravens said they are aware of the situation, but that Thomas did not notify the team of the incident. Earl Thomas was not arrested, and an attorney attorney representing Nina Thomas said Thursday that she was, quote, wrongfully arrested. 
The 2020 schedule, NFL schedule, is here, and it has an interesting wrinkle. The New Orleans Saints will host the Minnesota Vikings on Christmas Day on a Friday. Friday Night Lights. It will be the first Friday game since the San Diego Chargers beat the Titans on Christmas night in 2009 and just the 11th NFL game played on a Friday since the 1970 merger. The matchup will itself will have some playoff implications likely in the NFC. This will be the fifth meeting between the Saints and Vikings in the past four years, including playoff wins by Minnesota in both the 2017 and 2019 seasons. New Orleans may be looking for a little revenge, a chance to avenge its overtime wildcard loss to the Vikings from this past January in the Superdome. Both teams will be playing on just four days rest, but neither team has a Thursday game on the schedule. So look for that. The game will air on Fox, uh, on the NFL Network, and stream on Amazon. Christmas, Christmas game. Tip. Tom Brady, I almost said Tampa Bay. Like I, it's now fixed in my mind. I'm gonna start referring to Tampa Bay that way, and that's terrible. Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady are opening as six and a half point underdogs in their week one road game against the New Orleans Saints, according to Caesar Sportsbook. Why is this significant? Well, Brady has been favored in his past seventy-four. Sorry, almost uh, you know, coughed there. Seventy-four regular season starts. It's the longest streak in the Super Bowl era, according to ESPN stats and information. Just think about that. Favored in 74 games. So what's the next longest active streak? Oh, that would belong to Saints quarterback Drew Brees. Nine games. Nine straight games. 74? Will anybody ever top that? Who knows? But it's only fitting that Drew Brees, who has the next longest streak, is favored over Brady in Week 1. Now, this is barring any dramatic line movement before that, but... When the Bucks and the Saints kick off September 13th, Brady will be an underdog in the regular season for the first time since week two of the 2015 season. And that's when the Patriots were one-point underdogs to the Bills. Not bad. Not bad. If that streak has to end, I think, you know, it ends on a, a pretty good note. As for the Seahawks' schedule, we got a peek at it yesterday. We also got to hear from Colin Cowherd yesterday after that schedule was released. Well, thinks the Seahawks are the best team in the league. And I think Seattle's going to be the best team in the league. I think it wasn't for cluster injuries last year in the backfield. I, I did not buy Seattle last year. They blew me away. Many of their rookies played well. Uh, they, they will not have that kind of uh, injury-riddled backfield. New England, I mean, you're talking Jarrett Stidham. They've lost their two best playmaking linebackers. Uh, I look at New England's early schedule. That is a tough game at Seattle. Um, I'm not sure how winnable that is. I, I think Seattle and New England for a year are going in different directions. Predictions for the Seahawks and for the NFC West. As noted by ESPN and all of their beat writers yesterday, people that know these teams pretty well and everything, all the moves they've made in the offseason. In the NFC West, the Seahawks and the Niners both predicted to end with an 11-5 and record. Cardinals 9-7, and Rams 8-8, eight and eight, coming in fourth place, uh, predictedly, by the ESPN. Game by game, week one, the Seahawks are at the Falcons. Week two, they face off against the New England Patriots. That will be their first primetime game on Sunday Night Football. Week three versus the Cowboys. Week four at the Dolphins. Cross-country trip there. And week five, the week before their bye week, their second primetime game on Sunday Night Football versus the Minnesota Vikings. 
Week six, they get a little break, some rest early on. And then week seven, NFC matchups, NFC West matchups begin at Arizona Cardinals. Week eight versus the San Francisco 49ers. Week nine at Buffalo. That will be a tough one. And then week 10 at the Rams. So back-to-back road games against uh, these two opponents. It's just going to be a really tough stretch, I would say, there from week seven to, uh, let's just call it, week 12 even depends on how you view it but at the back-to-back road games and then playing all those division matchups we know how crazy those can get how weird they could get but week 10 at the rams week 11 versus the arizona cardinals their third primetime game on thursday night football week 12 they'll fly across the country for their fourth primetime game monday night football so they get a little extra day there to rest up at the eagles week 13 Uh, Back-to-back New York opponents versus the New York Giants, and then in Week 14 versus the Jets. Week 15, back cross-country at Washington. Week 16 and Week 17, rounding it out with two NFC West matchups. They'll be versus the Rams on on December 27th in the Week 17 final regular season game of the year, January 3rd at the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are predicted to end 11-5. and five. Their strength of schedule is fourth. Tied for fourth, not bad. Uh, Cardinals, 9-7, and seven, tied for eighth best in their strength of schedule. And the Rams, with an 8-8 eight and eight predicted finish, they are tied for 10th in their strength of schedule. Meanwhile, the Seahawks tied for 14th. So a couple of rough stretches, but plenty of primetime games for Russell Wilson and company to showcase their talent. Pete has a pretty good record in primetime. That's it for us here at The Blitz. Danny and Galan are coming your way in mere seconds. Everybody have a safe and fun weekend. Danny and Galan coming next on 710 ESPN Seattle.